You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Uh, again, we're going to kick off this final month of 2020. How many of you are glad that 2020 is almost over, right? We're, we appreciate the fact that, that God has taught us a lot of things, but I'm looking for some of that harvest that we were just singing about maybe to come to pass. Thank you for those of you, those of you who are joining us online, if you're at home or wherever you are. We're glad those of you who are gathered here today, and I am grateful that we get to be together and exalt Jesus. Uh, I would encourage you, maybe that song, Seasons, is new. It's been out since 2017. As a side note, uh, it's got a lot of words. The same guy wrote uh, So Will I, if you know that song. Um, But man, if you don't know that song, go and maybe just listen to it this week and, and read the words. The imagery of that song is so powerful. And as a songwriter and someone that appreciates songwriting, super creative. I'm like, man, this guy's amazing. So uh, anyway, that's just a side note. But I want to begin today's series. This month, we're talking about peace on earth. Peace on earth. This is a real Christmas theme. It makes a lot of sense in December, but I can't think of a better subject, honestly, to talk about uh, than peace than right now in our culture, in our world, and what we're going through and the things that we're still navigating. This ever elusive, yet this seemingly universal hope from people everywhere that we would have peace on earth. For Christians, the Christmas season reminds us that this peace was a promise. It was a promise that God made that there would be peace. Jesus, what we remember and what we celebrate at Christmas, was Jesus coming to earth as Emmanuel, God with us, was the fulfillment of that promise that God made to bring peace to earth, that he was God with us. He was the fulfillment of the promise of peace. He is the prince of peace. He uh, paid a great price for us to have peace with him and with one another. And then also there is power in that peace that we find in him that we can now walk in. And so we're going to talk about these things over the course of this series. So with all of these ideals that I just mentioned being true, and they are biblically speaking, if all of that's true, then why is there such little peace in our world today? Why do we have such little peace? Why is there so much personal inner turmoil going on, spilling over into corporate relational turmoil, and it looks like and feels like constantly, whether it's on a newsreel or our own experiences, that there's rampant unrest, there's division and hatred and fighting, everything that seems the exact opposite of peace. Why is all of that seemingly more than the peace that Jesus said that he came to bring. We're just kind of standing around lots of times going, where's the peace? Where is it? So I wanna define our terms here as it relates to peace. This is very important, particularly in our culture today, right? We have a lot of discussion about defining our terms so we know what we're talking about. So let's define the term of peace, biblically speaking, because we live in a time where this is very important and yet a lot of our understanding of peace, like with a lot of terms from time to time, is not necessarily biblical, although we feel like maybe it's the right definition. So let's define this 
from the Bible standpoint because what we often think of, a peace, is, of peace is the cessation of war. Like that's, that's peace. There needs to be peace on the earth. That means there is no war. Well, let me just tell you that if peace is the cessation of war, then we can forget it. Like that's not gonna happen ever because the reality is the Bible tells us that as Jesus' return nears, there's going to be more war and rumors of wars. That's what the Bible tells us. And we know with sinful human beings, there's always going to be factions and fighting. So if our hope is that there's going to be no more war, and that's what peace means, then we're in for a lot of unrest. No peace. Then there's the other side of this. What about the fact that we think peace is synonymous with quiet? Anybody else feel like that? I just want some peace and quiet in my house. Like, Okay, let me just go ahead and tell you that's not going to ever happen, okay? Particularly for younger kids and families, and then they come back, and they boomerang, and they'll come back, and they'll have their own kids. and It's never going to get peaceful in your house if that is a synonym for you of quiet. We can write that off. So if peace is more than the cessation of noise and unrest and war, then what is it? In both cases that I just mentioned, whether it's war or quiet or whatever, in both cases, the world's ideal or idea of peace is momentary. It's like the pause of something negative or the state of tranquility that is just very temporary. But biblically speaking, peace is far more holistic. It's far more positive. It's far more ongoing as opposed to something that is momentary. It's less about the absence of something negative or bad. And it's more about the presence of something good. Something that is active, something that is living, something that is eternal, or better yet, someone. If we're honest, there are all kinds of problems around us, right? There's all kinds of problems that we all deal with, and they cause us anything but peace. I mean, I could just go down the list in my own family, my own life. Like these, These are the things that cause me to have, in my mind, no peace. It's typical for humans, here's what we do. We think if we can fix the problems on the outside, then peace will come on the inside. That's what we try to do. We think if I can fix this out here, then something will change in here. If I can just settle this issue, then I'm gonna have peace. If I can just get along with that person, then I could have peace. If I could just get a little bit more money, then I could relax and I could be at peace. I need some things to settle down in my life so I can have some peace. And what we need to understand is, is that all of those scenarios and all the others we may have could turn out favorably for us and just like we want, and we still have no peace. Why? Because we're attempting to fix the external, hoping that it's going to impact the internal, but the gospel of Jesus tells us something the exact opposite. The kingdom of God for which Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came and now works for from in our hearts and lives is working from the inside out, not the outside in. As a matter of fact, the gospel tells us that fixing the internal, our hearts, is the only thing that will have a lasting impact on the external. It's the only thing. The internal, you can put it this way, has a lasting impact on the external, not the other way around. Now, the external is nice and it does help, but we're talking about something that goes on and starts in the heart. Very simply, without Jesus, there is no such thing as lasting peace. There's not. 
There's a moment, momentary cessation of this or that, but not true peace, not biblical peace. With that in mind, let's take a deep dive into the biblical meaning of peace. I want to get a comprehensive understanding of what it is that I hope we will live out with Jesus as he promised that we would do to, he said, I'm going to leave my peace with you. So how do we live a life with the peace of God that Jesus said that he came to give us? Peace has both a Hebrew meaning in the Old Testament and a Greek meaning in the New Testament. There's a lot of similarities between the two. There's a lot of overlap in, of their rich imagery and activity. And that's what I want us to see, that peace is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. The Hebrew, Hebrew word for peace in Isaiah 9, 6, where Jesus is described as the prince of peace, is the prince of shalom. That's what that word, that Hebrew word there is shalom. And it's, it's not so much the, the ending of something negative and bad, it's as much the beginning and the sustaining of something better this is who Jesus is the prince of peace and it's a comprehensive kind of peace it means oneness it means completeness as one author described it I love this I want to read it shalom is the interlocking of God humans and all creation in justice fulfillment and delight all nature and all humans looking to God, walking with God, leaning toward God, and delighting in God. That's peace. That's peace. That's comprehensive. That is oneness. It's completeness. And the kind of peace, as I said, I'll say it again, that the Bible speaks of always has an effect that is both positive and powerful. Again, not so much the end of something negative, but the beginning and the sustaining of something greater and good like it would not here's here's my point for us the idea of peace would be the ending of war biblically speaking comprehensively completely it's not just the ending of war but it's the fellowship of friends so it's not just that we're going to stop fighting but now we're actually going to have friendly relations between two people peace is also synonymous with victory Peace is often paired with prosperity in the Bible, meaning that peace and economic freedom go hand in hand. Is it any wonder that in a world that is rampant with poverty, that there isn't the peace that we're hoping and longing for because they actually go hand in hand? There's this economic freedom that goes with being at peace. Why? Because our peace isn't in what we have. It's in the one that has given us whatever we have. Also, I love this. Peace is the work of justice. Isaiah 32, 17 says, and the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of the righteousness, quietness and trust forever. The result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. That's peace. Again, peace is active. So in a weighty theological sense, we see peace as far beyond the simple idea of the cessation of war or the absence of conflict. Actually, peace in the Bible is not seen as tranquility and order at all but rather as a deep commitment to the work of justice. That's what peace is seen as. And watch this, and we'll explore this name a little bit more in this series. Jesus is the prince of peace, shalom, so he is to be seen as the bringer of justice. He's to be seen as the vindicator in the world. He is in purpose wonderful, in battle godlike, father all the time, and prince of peace. And his kingdom shall be established and sustained with justice and righteousness. Where there is no justice and there is no righteousness, there is no peace 
even if there is no war, even if there is a little bit of quiet. See, when you get to the New Testament, the Greek word for peace is very similar, has a lot of similarities to the Hebrew understanding of shalom. But now we see it as a gift from God through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. The the peace has come. The nature of this gift, the peace brought by Jesus, is easier to explain by reiterating again what it is not in this definition. It's not an end to tension. It's not an absence of warfare. It's not domestic tranquility. It's not anything like the worldly assessment of peace. Ironically, and this is crazy, but the presence of peace in your life may actually disturb existing relationships in your life. Think about that. The the presence of the Prince of Peace in your life may actually disturb peace as you know it with relationships that don't have the Prince of Peace in their life. And this is where Jesus is a dividing sword even in family relationships. Let's take this odd passage of scripture. If you have your Bible with you today or you're at home and you have your Bible, let's turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 37. Sorry, my mouth is so dry right now. I might could say I took Allegra and not a good idea. Actually, I didn't take it this morning. I took it yesterday morning and I still feel like a desert. Okay, just letting you into my, um, you know, problems. Here we are, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 37. And to think, this is probably the one that we're going to put online. Okay. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now relax, this isn't, I'm not teaching that we're supposed to have a lot of family dysfunction right now, but here's the point, because I read that and go, wait, 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 hold up. So the Prince of Peace didn't come to bring peace? As much as things change, they stay the same. And this is what I see in this passage of scripture and then what I see even today as we put our hope in the type of peace that we think is our mental understanding of peace as opposed to what Jesus says peace is and what God says peace is. And here's how things were just this way for the Jews and the people that were expecting the Messiah to come and still today we put our hope in a different kind of peace than what Jesus is saying he came to bring. Because what he's saying is, look, I'm not saying that I'm not the Prince of Peace, I am. But what I am saying is your understanding of what peace is is not what I came to bring. And there's a dividing that's going to happen for those who surrender their life to the Prince of Peace and those who do not. And there's a sword that will come and divide those two. There's a division that will take place for those whose whose loyalty and allegiance is to the kingdom of God and those who are looking for a different kind of power. And here's what I mean by this. What Jesus is saying is that the expectation of peace through politics and prosperity and power that many of the Jews were expecting him to bring and that many people today are expecting God to bring was not the peace that he was bringing. Jesus did not come to bring peace and prosperity to one nation through nationalism. He became and he came to bring peace to every nation, tribe, and tongue through the power of his kingdom. 
That although he did come to bring peace, it's not as the world gives, and he says as much. And the rejection of him and the violence against his kingdom and the gospel would be so vigorous that it would even divide families. And so if you had a choice between serving Jesus or going with this particular person or family, he's saying, Jesus is the way you're going to have to go. We are to have peace in the midst of a hostile world is what he's saying. And you're going to be in a hostile world. But here, we still try today to tell God what peace on earth should look like and how it's supposed to come. In the midst of a hostile world, we still tell him how it should happen. We expect it to come through political power. We still expect to be affluent and safe and secure, forgetting that all of those things are now what? External, and if they don't happen internally first, you could have all of those things and still have zero peace. Why? Because affluence, first and foremost, is coming from the inside, knowing that Jesus Christ is your one and only treasure, not in how much money's in your bank account. Why? Because my identity and my security and my safety comes from knowing who I am in Christ, first and foremost. That's something that can never be stolen away from me, and that starts on the internal, not on the external. I mean, I could build a fortress around my house and still not be safe. Because my safety and my security is in who I am in Christ alone. And that's internal first and external second. And what we see in all of this is how we are to live with the peace of God and the safety of his arms spiritually and the affluence of the riches of his grace spiritually actively pursuing this in our lives how do we do that because again we're not called to a life of passivity that's another thing we often equate with peace is like i'm a pacifist and it's passive and it's not doing anything but the bible tells us a very different story about peace it's something that is active and ongoing and one of the main reasons and one of the main roles as christians that we are to do is to be those that pray for peace actively constantly consistently yes pray for our nation yes pray for peace these are things that we're to do. First Timothy chapter two, you could turn there if you like. Verse one through four talks about how we actively pursue peace. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Some translations say all who are in positions of authority that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So this is why we pray for this, right? This is good. It's good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So now we see a correlation actually between this peace and also evangelism and people seeing and knowing Jesus. It's a powerful passage of Scripture and it's just important for us to pray this as it was in, when it was written. Right? It's just as important today. Mainly the prayer is that we trust in God no matter what the world around us looks like. We continue to be a people of peace, taking the gospel of peace to whomever and wherever we can. That's never going to change. No matter what changes around us, no matter what changes in our nation, no matter what changes in our world, this remains the same. This never changes. That we're to take the gospel of peace as peacemakers. However, what we can see this is why we pray, a connection between praying for our national leaders, praying for the preservation of peace and order, 
in our nation and in our world and praying for the, or the desire, if you will, for all to be saved. There's a correlation between national leadership and peace and evangelism and missions. There's a correlation. So we should pray for it. But this is where we have to trust God as to what this peace is going to look like in different seasons as we sang about a moment ago. Because we know that the church may grow in times of hostility and war, right? And the Bible's very clear that a lot of times the church grows the most when it's under persecution, when there's war and there's hostility and where, where we can't trust in anything in ourselves, in our own strength, all our trust is in God alone. We grow more. But at the same time, it's also true that wars have devastated the church in many ways. So it's not something that we want or wish for. But our role as Christians, I said this a minute ago, I'm going to say it again, stays the same no matter what. And it's to pray that justice, peace, and the proclamation of the gospel prevail all over the world. We pray that the Christian church is not complicit in national affairs as if the nation and the church were one, because they're not. Ours is to pray that the church be seen as sojourners and aliens in the cause of Christ exalting love and justice with no supreme allegiance to any nation. Why? Because our supreme allegiance is to Christ alone. It's called the supremacy of Christ above all things. That my allegiance is to him first and foremost. The supremacy of Christ should mark our lives as Christians and as the church. So when it comes to peace, we pray for it. We pray for the love and wisdom and courage and power and fruitfulness of the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, around the world. We plead with God to strengthen us. We plead for God to strengthen his church, that we would persevere and that we would stand firm in the face of any and every persecution, that we would be distinct from all the nations and all the national and ethnic manifestations of pride. Let us plead that the bride of Christ would be peacemaking presence of salt and light everywhere and that we would be unafraid to call any and every nation into question for the sake of justice and humility. We pray that Jesus Christ would be magnified as no national deity but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yes, let us pray for rulers and leaders and kings of all nations that they would see this and humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and make way for the king of glory and the Lord who is mighty and strong in battle. Okay, so that was just the introduction. I ain't kidding. No, I, I am a little bit. So let me go back. Let me personalize this a little bit because the definition of peace is also personal. It's not just broad and eternal and national and, and worldly in the case of the whole world. But there are deep personal implications, not just broad eternal ramifications. Jesus's gift of peace is in reality the character and the disposition of the new covenant of his blood, which he gave us through the cross, which reconciles us to God and to one another. So let's talk about this. This is what peace does and primarily what it's for. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is primarily what peace is all about. 
peace with God. And then it also forms the basis for our subsequent reconciliation between us and one another. That would be the people under the banner of Jesus Christ. Now we look at Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility so what does the scripture tell us it's telling us that peace according to God is oneness and completeness with God and with one another this is the purpose of peace to reconcile man back to God and to reconcile us with one another through Jesus Christ so let's take this down to a very personal relational level since we have somewhat looked at the broader national level or the nation's level But just as in the case of world peace, relational peace, we typically believe to be the absence of conflict. That's what we think. It's the cessation of conflict. We don't have any conflict, so we're at peace. We're good. So you know what our typical solution for that is? We avoid conflict. We run from it. That is our idea of being peacemakers. But that is not the biblical understanding of peacemaking. Might be peacekeeping, but that's about it. And it's really only for you. And that's where we go. We go in further. We avoid conflict. We maintain peace. And typically when we do this, why do we do this? Because it benefits me. I don't want to get into that. Why? Because I I don't want to deal with that. So it benefits me. But it's still causing unrest between us. So here, I'll bring it down to even more personal levels in your own relationships that you have in life and with people. What about a teacher? Like for those of you who are students, you want to keep peace with the teacher. Why? Because you want a good grade and you don't want any conflict, right? You want her to treat you fairly, so you don't want to, you don't want to rock the boat. So I want to just have peace. I want to maintain peace. Even though I have a conflict, I don't want to rock the boat because I want a good grade. Or my parents, your parents. I don't have to ask them to go out anymore, but you do, some of you young people. So what? You don't want to mess up your relationship with mom and dad and them get mad and you not have peace and you not get to go out with your friends later on. So we try to keep peace. Even though there's conflict and I want to say something and I want to, you know, yell at mom or I want to yell at dad, but I'm, I'm just going to bite my tongue because if I get mad, then we're not, I'm not going to be able to go out. Or what about your boss? You know there's some problems. You know there's some conflict and you want to address it, but you're afraid he's not going to give you that day off or you're afraid he's not going to give you that raise or she's not going to give you that raise. And so you just kind of maintain the peace because you don't want to have any conflict. I'm going to bring this all down for all you married people in here. If you're not married, I'm sorry. But what about husbands? You want to keep peace because you want Friday night to be Friday night. Good. Y'all responded way better than the first service. They're like, I could have heard a pin drop. I'm like, you guys are ridiculous. I'm not not saying nothing. This is Friday. I'm not saying nothing. All right. Maybe that's just real for some of us, not all of us. But here's the truth. Peace isn't avoiding difficulty. It's being one with Jesus in the middle of my difficulty. And one with Jesus means oneness in our relationships. So let's talk about peace relationally. Let's talk about all these scenarios and any others that you may have. Let's say the two of you have been in a disagreement and now the two of you have agreed to disagree and just speak civilly with each other, but you never seek out each other's company anymore. Guess what? That's not peace. That's not peace. Well, we're just, we're just going to agree to disagree. 
Peace is sharing mutual enjoyment. It's being one. What is peace? It's oneness. It's completeness. And anything less than that is superficial. And it's why we continue to feel a lack of peace in our relationships, in our lives, because we settle for superficial truces instead of biblical peace. I believe that's why there's so much unrest in our world and even in our nation and our churches because we don't allow unrest to push us towards peace relationally. We instead ignore it or run away from it or avoid it and we settle for superficial silence. And an external band-aid never works for an internal wound. If you just agree not to fight, then eventually you're gonna fight about something else again, I promise you. And everybody that's been in any kind of relationship knows this is true. Well, we're just not going to agree to fight about that. We're just going to move on. There's something else coming then because you didn't deal with the internal. The problem on the inside, which is causing the problems on the outside, hasn't been settled. So nothing will change except your relationship and all the intimacy and the trust that you once had will disappear. That's why Jesus has to settle the problem on the inside of all of us. First, this is where we come back to the gospel, really, and what the gospel of peace means, because the greatest source of unrest and hostility in our lives is our own hearts. Again, we always want to point the finger at everybody else about why I have no peace. And truly, what the Bible tells me is nobody can steal my peace. Back to Ephesians 2, why? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The Apostle Paul is telling you that peace is not just a state of mind. It's not just a meditative, tranquil state. It's not just having a Coca-Cola and a smile. Right, because that song's about to come out. Now, we're going to hear that for the next month. I'd like to teach the world to sing and drink this Coca-Cola. I don't know, has that ever worked for anybody? Have you ever been in a fight with anybody and went, Tch. No, you have? Oh, come on. Carla loves some Coke, but it doesn't work that way, baby. Hey, if it does, I'm going to try it. Honey. It's Friday. (laughs) She was already like, stop it. I know what you're about to do. But here's the truth. It's the greatest truth. It's the greatest truth of all about peace. Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. It's what he says in Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace. There will never be peace on the outside until there's first peace on the inside. This pertains to everything from nations to marriages to friendships to brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. You see, the problem that we think are the problem is not the problem at all. The problem is our own hearts. The problem is on the inside. It's from within. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is the one that we need. Paul is saying that in order to live at peace, you must first have peace. 
The problem with most of us is that we want to start by clearing up the issues and the results of the conflict first, that we're more concerned about being right than we are about being made righteous. But God never starts with the issues. He starts with the heart. He starts with the person. And he starts down in the deep places that we want to hide from everybody else. And he says, peace as a person. And in order for you to live at peace with somebody else, you must have to be at peace with the person of Jesus Christ first and foremost. If you have his peace, then you can start solving the conflict around you by being a peacemaker that God has made you to be in his peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, the Bible says in Matthew 5, 9. Why? Because you can't make peace until you know and have peace. And how do you know and have peace? You know Jesus and you have Jesus in your life. That's the only way that you can make peace. The place to start, the source of peace, is the settling of our problem between you and Jesus Christ. That's always the place that we start. Well, listen, pastor, I don't have a problem with God. Me and God are good. It's that knucklehead over there that I got a problem with. Okay. Well, if you are in Christ, then I'm going to affirm you that this is true. You are good with God. Because who makes you good with God? Jesus alone. You're good with him. Nothing can change that. But if you're going to be good with God in completeness and oneness and have peace the way God intended for you to have it, then as much as it pertains to you, you're going to have to be good with knucklehead too. Why does this matter? Well, besides the fact that Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one, and that Paul says that Jesus came to break down every dividing wall of hostility in Ephesians 2, and that God says that we cannot love him and hate one another at the same time in the book of John, that the root, here's the problem, the root of every violence and injustice and hostility in the world, every absence of peace is one thing, it's sin. It's our sin. And in our sin, we're at war with God first and foremost, whether we fully realize it or understand it or even know it or not. And oftentimes we're not aware of it because the devil is a deceiver. And that's what he does. He deceives. He's good at deceiving. He's good at keeping things hidden. He's good at making you think that that person is the problem. And really, it's him the problem. The per- he's the one behind that person. And he's the one that's messing with you. And our condition, apart from the saving grace found in Jesus Christ, is internal hostility toward God and every other fallen human being. That's our condition. That's why it's such surprisingly good news at Christmas that Jesus came to bring peace between man and God and then subsequently between people who would once hate each other. There's bringing peace. Peace should be one of the marks of everyone that calls Jesus Lord. Everyone who knows Jesus, why? Because he is peace. And the more I know peace, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the more I should be like him. As a matter of fact, that's what John 14, 27 says, that Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives, not politically and powerfully and and monetarily. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus could have said he was leaving us anything. My strength I leave with you. My riches I leave with you. My power I leave with you. My wisdom I leave with you. Yet he's saying the inheritance that he's leaving for us is through the Holy Spirit and it's peace. As a believer, you've been given peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is important because if we think the peace is the absence of trouble, then we're in trouble. Jesus is telling this to his disciples and he's spending time with them saying, you're going to experience trouble. My friends, we're going to experience trouble. Have you not? We're going to experience trouble. We're going to go through difficulty in this life. 
We're promised this, trials, pain. We're gonna suffer betrayal. We're gonna have to deal with loss and death. But what Jesus is teaching is that peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of Christ in your life. And that means that peace is gonna be inside of me and in my life no matter what goes on outside and around me. The answer to any hostility, any unrest, any injustice, any trouble is more of Jesus and less of us. Why? Because he is peace. And in the middle of your trouble, Jesus is peace. And this is so imperative to know why. Because peace is relational. Peace is not circumstantial. Peace is a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Peace is not determined by your circumstances. Peace is determined by your relationship with Jesus because peace is a person and that's why peace in the middle of life storms surpasses our understanding and we don't understand why we have peace, but we do. And it's also why spending time with God and in Jesus' presence is so important. The Bible, his word, worship, prayer, consistent times of listening for and to his voice and being a part of his body. And guess what? If that's where peace is gonna be found, it's not gonna happen without a fight. You'll have to fight for it. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Our hearts were designed to function best when we're at peace. And that is at peace with God and with one another. And only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can give us that because peace is a person. So even though this is our spiritual inheritance, I'm telling you the enemy is going to fight you tooth and nail to make sure that he steals that from you every day. If we don't let Jesus rule in our hearts, he will. Here's, where, here's what peace should look like. In its practice of love and forgiveness and graciousness, the Christian community, the church, that's you and I, are to be a showcase of reconciliation and peace that Christ has brought between heaven and earth, between us and God, and also between fractured humanity, between you and me. My question today is this, are you showcasing peace to the world around you? Because the world's not gonna get any slower, it's not gonna get any less restless, it's not gonna have any less wars, it's not gonna be less hostility and less injustice, that's not gonna go away, it's gonna actually increase, the Bible says. Storms are going to continue to blow up in your lives, in your relationships. Problems are still going to cause you to want to be anxious. But we don't have to let outward circumstances dictate our inner peace. We press into our relationship with Jesus. We allow him to bring peace to our hearts no matter what. No matter if there seems to be no change in our circumstance, we keep pressing into him. Knowing Jesus is our peace today helps us with our peace tomorrow, to trust him for that. And our peace multiplies when we grow in our relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, who is our peace. So let's pray this morning, not just for our peace, for the peace of this church, for the peace of our nation, for the peace of our world that only comes through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.